You know, there's some people that like to plan everything to a T. They want to plan what hotel they're staying in, how long they're going to be, where they're going to end up. Well, Richard Giorgio is not one of those people. Richard likes to pack his bike sparsely and then sort of ride off into the sunset with only basic information about where he's going and what to expect when he gets there. And then he sort of lets the adventure unfold around him, shooting from the hip, so to speak. It's not always comfortable, but that's the way he likes to ride. Now, as you can imagine, it does sometimes get him into trouble. Like when he was trying to pay off all his debts, for instance, he handed his house keys over to someone that said they'd take care of everything and then walked away, trusting that his mortgage was done. Or maybe the time when he was lost on his motorcycle trip and approached a roadblock stocked with armed men, unable to decide what was going on there, Richard decided to just hunker down and crack the throttle. You could say adventure finds Richard. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. Yeah, my name's Richard, Richard Georgia. I'm uh, I'm from England, and uh, I I ride my motorbike. I, I ride my motorbike to places that are easy and cheap to get to, so Morocco and around Europe and uh, Scotland and and, and uh, places like that, really. Richard, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. So you, that's what you do for a living? You, you just ride your bike around? <laughs> no, for a living, I have a company that makes ankle supports and elbow supports. Uh, I see. Now, I like this because what you're doing is you, you've totally set aside the, the company and what you have to do to make money. That's not you. What, what, what is you is what you do in your spare time. Oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely. The, uh, the ankle supports are a means to an end, really. Right. So you you were in computers, though, many years ago, and then you switched over to this company. That's what had happened? Yeah, I, um, I was working uh, long hours and hard with lots of pressure. Um, and I was on call all the time. And uh, Doing what sort of things? Uh, I was a programmer and programming support. And, uh, and for a little while, a help desk analyst. And, um, but, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person who was locked in the back room and never let out in case they get to see a customer, you know. <laughs> but uh, so um, I looked at my um, my finances that I was earning, you know, from uh, from computers. And I looked at my finances that I was was earning from um, from my ankle support company. And um, and I thought I can if I cut things down here, I can uh stop doing computers and just live off the money I get from, from my, my ankles and elbows and stuff. 
and so uh, so I did, and uh, it's it's been amazing. You know, it's it's uh, I've gone from having ten minutes spare a day to you know to actually having time to do things and right. uh, getting out there on the motorbike is uh, like my primary thing really. So you take like a huge cut in pay, uh, but your yeah, but life is worth cut it. In pay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh. Yeah. There, there was one point though, where I know that you were heavily in debt and, um, you end up, you, I think at the time you had a house, you, you'd bought a house and, and you bought a bunch of other things. You were heavily in debt and then you ended up changing your, your lifestyle, your, your living style. Can you, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I moved into a van. I was, I basically got myself into loads of debt around about 42,000 pounds. And uh, I, I looked at my income and my outgoings and uh, shock horror, you know, my outgoings were uh, significantly higher than my income. And um, you wouldn't think that's so possible, though, would you? I mean, like, how does that happen? You, you think somewhere along the line it has to be obvious? Yeah, yeah. I think it would be, it would have been obvious to, to the average person. But, uh, you know, I think <laughs> I struggle, you know, and uh, it just it wasn't it wasn't obvious to me. I think these these things, they creep up on you, don't they, really? Well, and, that's uh, why I say, I, th I mean, I think it should be obvious to, to the average person, you know, you're spending money and, and you're not making as much should be obvious, but because of the way things are nowadays with credit, et cetera, and all the different places you can get money, it's no longer like it was, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, maybe more than that now, maybe I'm dating myself, but, but, um, where it just seems simpler, you know, you made this much money you had that money in the bank and that's what you were spending. Uh, you know, you might have a mortgage for your house, but that's it. But of course, fast forward to today, I mean, you can, you can finance a pack of pens that you buy. Uh, I don't think that was the case for you, um, when it happened to you, but, um, yeah, it's, and it's easy to get the, have everything get out of hand. So, so what did you do? You're in your house. Why, why move to a van? Yeah, it was just, it was the only way that I could work out of getting out of debt. I had, um, you know, I had all this debt. I went down to the bank and said, you know, help. I had this lovely uh, bank manager who uh, was really, really helpful, um, you know, up to that point. And, uh, so I went down there, cried for help. And, uh, and she said, uh, you know, well, we're in the business of, um, you know, we're, we're bankers. We're not, you know, we're not, we can't do miracles. Um, you know, I don't really know what to suggest, perhaps bankruptcy. And uh, I thought, you know, these companies, they've been good enough to lend me their money and it's, it's my job to, to pay it back. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go down that route. It's not something that's, uh, it's kind of against my ethics, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, um, I went home, I looked into, I uh, looked at all my bank statements and, worked out what I could get rid of, sold everything I could, and um, uh, got enough money to buy a van and moved into moved into a van and, and got rid of my house. So you sold so, the house? Uh, uh, well, uh, no, I I had someone round to value the house, and he came round and, and said, um, there are lots of things that need doing. You need to do this, you need to do that, etc., etc." And, of course, <laughs> I was... Get, trying to get rid of the house so that I could have some money, you know. So, uh, so um, you know, having all this this extra work done to, to sell the house wasn't really an option, you know. Um, I was in so much debt already. <laughs> so, um, so he said to me, uh, you know, we can. I'll take the keys and and that'll be it. And I thought, well, that's that's got to be a, a good thing. So I gave him my keys and moved out the house, moved into a van. And, uh, that came on, back you, to haunt me actually. You gave him the house. Yeah, I just uh, and 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 with that, um, cancelled the mortgage. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I was, I was young and naive and had no idea what was going on, really. How did you cancel a mortgage? Were you just tell them, hey, I'm not paying it anymore. I've, I've given that to somebody else. Go chase Bob. Yeah, no, I had two payments. One was an endowment policy and the other one was the mortgage, uh, interest-only mortgage. And um, I got in touch with uh, both companies and, and told them what I was doing. There was uh, a bit of shock horror going on on the phone, as you can imagine. But um, but yeah, you know, I said, well, it's the only option that I have. And uh, here's the contact details of the chap I've handed my keys to. And uh, he said he'll deal with it all. And I believed him. I shouldn't really, I shouldn't have done that. You know, in hindsight, you know, I think that was a very expensive move. Um, but hey, you know, young and stupid. Did you ever respond to an email from a prince uh, in Algeria? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're best mates, yeah, we are. <laughs> that's what I thought. I just knew that was. <laughs> so this house thing, that, did, that didn't work out. I don't know if you want to t- talk about the details of it. I don't want to get too detailed, but I'm curious. But that, to me, it sends off all the alarm bells saying, wait a second, this, this doesn't sound right. Yeah, well, what happened uh, when, when, uh, when I realized I'd made a very big mistake was once I'd lived in the van for three years, got myself out of debt, bought another house, etc. Um, I got a letter saying, uh, oh, by the way, you owe us, and it was something like 10 grand. I can't remember the exact figure, but uh, it was negative equity and it was all the fees for um, basically a repossession of a house. So, uh, of course, I was just at the point where I thought, hey, I'm out of debt. What an achievement. Well done. You've, uh, you know, you've done well. You get another, you know, great big bill and you realise you're quite back there again. So, yeah, definitely not my my brightest moment, really. Mm. Wow, yeah, that that would be a little bit of a kick. Well, let's talk about living in the van. I'm curious about this. So you move into a van. (laughs) Do you know people, or did you know people at the time that were living in a van? Is that where the idea came from? Or did you just see a a space and think, I could fit in there? Yeah, no, no, I didn't know anyone would would be daft enough to move into a van. It was just the only opportunity I had, really, I I think. Um, You know, I was heavily into rock climbing at the time, and... I'd go down to Harrison's and, and sleep down there in the van. And, uh, you know, there was, um, it was, it was a way of cutting out a big, um, lump of my outgoings so I could start paying everything else off. Sure. But, you know, it was a real, it was, it was, a, it, you know what it's like, you know, you make a change in your life and, uh, and you have, uh, the novelty for a little while. And, you know, it, it was quite a novel experience, you know, living in a van. It was also a novel experience paying off loads of my debts, which was quite nice. But then, you know, after a month or two, the, uh, the novelty wears off. And what you're left with is, uh, uh, you know, a very, very small house on wheels um, with no toilet. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it was awful. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't too bad in the, um, the spring and it wasn't too bad in the autumn. But in the summer, you were cooked, and in the winter, you froze. And it was difficult. You know, at the time, I was holding down a, a quite a responsible job. I had to turn up in a shirt and tie and suit. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, waking up in the morning in, like, minus three, minus four, and getting out of all my nice um, warm sleeping bags and blankets and putting on a, on a, a shirt that is covered in a layer of frost you know, and, and washing in a, in a bucket of cold water that you had to break the ice on was uh, not, not a nice experience. But, you know, it's, you make your decisions and you have to pay for them. So, 
you know, I definitely paid for mine, I think. The living in the van thing is a, is a big movement now. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of people who travel around all over the place living in them. And they're kidding them out incredibly well. I mean, so, I mean, there can, there's a certain level of comfort. And I'm sure if somebody's listening to this and they're living in their van, they're thinking, well, come on, Richard, you don't have to live like that. Yeah. Well, you know, my van was, a, was a, an ex-post office van. Uh, it, it had a metal floor. And actually, I had uh, one of the things I, I'd, I'd bought, I'd spent money on, uh, you know, in my um, mad times, to, which produced all this debt, was a, a, a motocross bike. And I decided I wanted to keep the motocross bike. So I was sharing this van with a bloody great <laughs> RM250. <laughs> I just refused to get rid of that, you know. <laughs> I wanted to keep some fun element to my life. So, uh, yeah, so I had a, a kind of a foot and a half slot down the 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 back of the van and the the motorbike had its its slot down the back of the van and I, I i slipped on a metal floor you know it it wasn't it wasn't a posh it was it wasn't a camper van it was just a van mm-hmm. it was a post office van you know so and all the not, while not you're you're showing up at work uh, doing your computer programming job and they don't know the difference they can't tell you're living out of your van yeah no they know i'm living in a van but you know i'd been there for a long time i had a lot of experience so you know, I didn't. Um, I left my living in a van and my financial problems outside when I went to work. Oh, um, you know, you have to do that. So I, I held down my job. Yeah, it was uh, interesting, interesting times. You mentioned the motorcycle that you, that you bought there and that you decided to keep. How did you fall in love with motorcycling? Because obviously you are, because that's what you know we started off with. That's what your life is about. Well, really, uh, when I was a child, we had. Um, uh, a driveway that was about 100 yards long. And for my birthday, I got uh, a little Yamaha TY80, uh, a trials bike, you know, with of- small wheels. And um, and that was my first uh, insight into motorbikes. And my dad taught me to how to use the clutch. And this is the gear lever and, you know, front brake and rear brake. And, you know, I managed to bunny hop my way through the, through the fence and the front door and smashed everything that I came close to. And, you know, even though I was completely rubbish at riding the motorbike, I really enjoyed it. And I think that it all stems from there, really. But, um, but you know what? Actually, the real love doesn't come from the motorbike itself. It comes from that feeling of freedom and the adventure. You know, I, I got rid of the, uh, the TY80 um, I had my motocross bike, which has a novelty, but then got rid of the motocross bike. And, you know, I, I wasn't really into motorbikes for a, quite a long time. And then I watched uh, um, an episode of Long Way Down with um, the two chaps. Um, uh, what's his name? It was Charlie Borman and uh, Ewan uh, McGregor. That's it. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, that was, that was what I wanted. I wanted the adventure. I wanted the, uh, the freedom. Um, you know, and, and the motorbike is what gives me that. So, you know, it's less really about the motorbikes and more about the, just getting out there and, 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 and and just continuing, just getting lost. I love that getting lost. It's, It's for me, that's, that's the whole thing, you know, the getting lost and the, the fire, you know, the, the changes in the scenery and it's just, uh, that's what it's about for me. You know, that's interesting because what you're describing there is, is kind of like what they do with ads, right? You know, they show you, you buy this alcohol, you know, you're going to have a great time in life. You buy this detergent and you'll do better at work sort of thing. <laughs> that's almost what you're describing. So that the bike becomes uh, just a, a product uh, that delivers you to this 
uh, intended, you know, euphoria that you're, that you're going to find from motorcycling. Although most times though, it's not true. It just doesn't happen that way. But with a motorcycle, now maybe not every time, but with a motorcycle, it delivers, doesn't it? Yeah, it has for me. It has for me, definitely. I think I, I, I bought my motorbike and got my, my motorbike license uh, with that in mind. You know, there wasn't any misconception. You know, I, I wanted that adventure. I, I wanted to, to, to just head south. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to know where I was going. I just wanted to head south, and the motorbike thing gave it gave me that that option really. Uh, just uh, and Charlie and you, and they're they're the impetus for that. Yeah, I think that you know, it's. I liked the uh, the banter between the the chaps, but really, I, I like doing things on my own. You know, you get a chance to think on a motorbike, whereas in a car, you know, you've got your radio on or a passenger or what have you. Whereas on, on the on the motorbike, you really get a chance to just just turn off and turn into yourself and get your brain going and work life through, you know? How do you go from living in your van with your, your best friend, your your dirt bike that you had there, to um, trying to cross the Morocco-Algeria border and, and getting shot at? Yeah, yeah, it's quite a difference, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite a difference in life, really. I'm a computer programmer, you know, I think you said computer geek, uh, you know, and, and then that's pretty adventurous. Yeah, it was, um, I think, you know, it's, I'm not the brightest person. I don't like to do uh, planning. I like to, you know, that feeling. You know, I remember reading about Christopher Columbus and, uh, and you know, he left uh, the shores here and uh, and and just headed uh, headed west and uh, not really knowing what he was going to find. You know, obviously we can't do that. You know, the world is mapped. But you know, my version of that, my version of that is um, uh, just to head south without doing too much in the way of research. And uh, and as I don't do my research, I tend to get in trouble. You know, and that Morocco Algeria border incident was uh, exactly exactly that that's the kind of thing that happens to me but you know what, what do you mean don't do research like what, what does that really entail well you know now i know that in the western sahara there are berms where they're surrounded by mines you don't drive your motorbike there but at the time i had no idea about that i just thought well there's no border really between morocco and western sahara it's kind of classed all as morocco so i can just head south and you know i went down on the on on the road towards samara and uh, came off the road and decided to ride through the desert for a bit. Um, but um, I found out later that I, I'd probably ventured into a minefield. Uh, and, you know, that explains all the bangs you were hearing <laughs> as you were going <laughs> as you're going along. <laughs> there you know, it is again. <laughs> you know that, that's that's that kind of you know. There's a balance to be to be had between uh, the getting that freedom and getting that adventure. Um, but not being too stupid and risking your life too much, you know. And I think I, I erred on the side of getting the adventure um, and not and not not the safety. Uh, perhaps if I was to do it again, well, you know, I have more knowledge now. But if I were to do a different trip uh, these days, I would certainly do a bit more research. But you know, that's that's why uh, why um, I have such great memories of of that trip and um, and of Morocco because of the trouble I got into. You know, if you don't get into trouble, it's more of a holiday than an adventure. Mm-hmm. Trouble is kind of synonymous with um, having fun, and you know, it is for me. 
Well, the thing is with, with trying to stay out of trouble, trying to keep yourself safe, the landmine situation, if you don't know anything about landmines or you don't expect that, I mean, how can you really prepare for that eventuality? You know, I mean, you don't, uh, it's not a normal thing, at least not where I grew up to walk around and say, when you arrive in a new place, are there any landmines here <laughs> that, I, that I need to know about? I mean, should I be checking this? Yeah, well, there's all sorts of things all over the place. And I think, you know, if you go onto uh, some of the websites, you know, like Horizons Unlimited and what have you, and, you know, you ask people, you know, it's what are the dangers, you know, here's my plan. I want to go from A to B. You know, what should I be looking out for? You know, you do find out these things, but uh, I deliberately didn't do that. You know, I, I wanted to uh, be surprised. I didn't think I was going to be surprised by landmines or, you know, you know, being shot at. So, but, you know, as I so say. When, so when, you, when you're around information, you're basically sticking your, your fingers in your ears and closing your eyes and saying, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. I want to have this adventure. Mm, yeah, most certainly. I think that, you know, that was my opinion. You know, everyone was saying, you know, what route are you going to take? I said, I'm not. I'm just going to, I'm going to get across the uh, the channel. And I'm going to head south. And, uh, you know, well, you know, it's at the beginning of each day, I'll have, spread my map out and uh, take a look and, and try to uh, to work out where I want to head. But I don't, I don't, you know, the whole, my whole life was about following a diary. And uh, I, I didn't really want to do the same on my trip. I wanted that freedom of, uh, driving down the road and being able to see a road that looked nice and say, right, I'll go that way. You know, I didn't want to have to look for the A59 and turn left onto that, you know. It's that freedom again, you know. It's, uh, it was um, it was the whole, the whole kind of ethos of the trip, really. And if you find out afterwards that you went within 10 miles of some beautiful, you know, site or, or some incredible attraction... How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's the price you pay, I think, you know, uh, you know, and and as it, it's the price you pay if you go 10 miles uh, into a minefield, you know, so uh, these days I, I wouldn't do that. You know, I have responsibilities and people that care and what have you. But back then, I think that I was uh, far younger and less mature. And, uh, you know, I just kind of selfish, really. I just wanted that, that freedom and, and that, that adventure. And uh, that was my way of getting it. But not regrettably, though. I mean, you don't feel regret that you that you were like that back then. No, I don't. But I think yeah. that I don't because I got away with it. And you know, you know, you can say I, I didn't get away with it. You know, it's, I got shot at at the border. You know, the bullet was went through my right hand pannier um, and through my petrol container, which luckily was empty. If it had wow. gone um, uh, a foot to the left, it would have gone through the bottom of my spine. So you know, it was a close call. Uh, I was incredibly lucky, uh, and, and I, you know, I do appreciate that. But, um, but you know, it was uh, that was that was the freedom, and that was the the price I paid really of uh, for 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 that. So you, you, obviously, you're still riding, you're still doing adventures now. You're in a different time in your life, a, a, d- a different mindset. Are the adventures watered down now? Do you, do you find that the you know the colors aren't as bright and the the hills quite aren't quite as high now that um, you're, let's say, a little more responsible. And on top of that, you have more knowledge of, of places you've been. Yeah, you know, I don't have much in the way of money. So I tend to do trips, but I can start from the end of my driveway. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to ship my bike anywhere because that the cost of shipping my bike is basically two times my, my entire trip's budget. So, uh, so of course, I'm limited on the places where I can go. You know, Morocco is an obvious one, but I've been there twice now. I've been around Europe, but Europe is, uh, 
you know, Europe is, uh, um, yeah, there are lots of rules in Europe to keep you safe. And that's kind of what I don't want. Um, so, yeah, things are definitely more sterile now. I think, you know, my next trip, I, I, I'd like to go up through Norway and Sweden, up into the Arctic Circle and then into Russia and back down again. And uh, I think Norway and Sweden, one, it's very expensive and two, it's, it's quite safe. And, uh, you know, I think that I do miss that kind of Morocco madness, you know, that blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you don't have a clue what's going on. You know, that's that was the whole reason for going to Morocco. And, uh, you know, maybe there are other places that I can get to from here cheaply. Um, you know, I, I hope so. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think my, my future adventures are definitely, um, yeah, going to be a bit less uh, exciting. But nonetheless, you know, just get in the way, you know, just getting away from uh, the daily grind, really, and going camping somewhere is, is exciting these days. So l- let's talk about the style of trip you do. Uh, by the sounds of it, obviously camping, the, you're, you're riding and camping. And what sort of time frame are we looking at? That sort of thing. Uh, I do big trips and little trips. My little trips are, you know, I'll go to the New Forest for a couple of days um, or a, a trip around Ireland or down to uh, Wales or or or, you know, maybe a little, a few days in France or what have you. But my main trips are uh, normally a month long because that's about as, uh, you know, as much time as I can spare. Um, and, you know, financially a month, like pretty much <laughs> bleeds me out. Um, so, yeah, I tend to do uh, a month long. I, te- I, I like to go on my own because I like to be selfish and, uh, you know, uh, make my own decisions. Um, and I like a bit of madness. Uh, you know, it's, um, on the way, I went to Greece and that, that, that was a bit mad, you know. Um, uh, Romania and Bulgaria aren't as um, kind of rule-based as the rest of Europe. That, that, that was quite good fun. And, uh, but yeah, I, I just like to get out there and away from what I'm used to. You know, in England, we have a certain way of, of doing things. We overtake in a certain way. We have rules, speed limits, and, you know, on the roads, you, you have to ride in a certain way it's i like to get to uh, out to places that are different my idea my ideal place i think now would be mongolia but that's that's um that's a big expensive trip maybe one day but uh i I just like things that are different really but seeing the world i suppose why is mongolia a big expensive trip just the distance alone yeah it's just uh yeah it would be longer than a month i think and uh, it would take me a fair a fair time to get there I'd want to ride there. So uh, it's, a, it's a bloody long way. So on these trips that you're doing now, what gives you that sense of freedom and adventure? God, these days I haven't been on a trip for a little while. Um, you know, what with COVID going on. I, I, I went sure. to, um, last year I went to, in between the, the our lockdowns that we had here, I went to, uh, what's the name of the place? Morzine down in France. And... Um, and, you know, it was only a week to France. But, you know, it still gives me that feeling of freedom. You know, you get on the on the Channel Tunnel and uh, turn up in France and ride off into the road, into the distance. And, uh, you know, you don't, I, I, th- I think you don't have to go a million miles and, and be trekking through deserts. You can, you can get, you can, you can still have that feeling of freedom, even just going down to somewhere quite sane like France. And, you know, the Alps is a beautiful place and, you know, they have all their rules, but you can still have that feeling of freedom, I think. Is part of it not having that schedule? 
you know, you said that you don't like to plan, you don't want to know where you're going or want, don't want to do too much research. I wonder, is that part of the freedom there? You know, you get up in the morning, you do whatever you want, go wherever you want. If you don't want to go anywhere, you don't go anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I think that, and that's all of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, not just a part. It is. It's just wonderful just to get up and decide what you want to do based on your emotions. You know, if you want to do something, do it. If you don't, well, you don't have to. You know, it's, it's not like that in real life. Yeah. I love writing like that where I tend to not want a set plan. I have a general direction, but um, I just enjoy that freedom of exactly what you're saying there. You, you, you get up in the morning and you decide where and how far you want to ride and where you end up is where you end up. And, uh, and for that, um, yeah, you just need a motorcycle, not the motorcycle. Yeah, any old bike, any old bike will do. You know, I remember being in the Alps and, and stopping at a pub and uh, sitting by the window and having a Coke. And, um, and there were a, a, a big old group of, um, uh, you know, huge BMWs turned up. They're obviously on some kind of organized tour. And, uh, and they were hovering around outside, studying their maps, arguing with each other. Um, it just seemed like lots of pressure. And, uh, and you know, it was uh, down near Vacours. I, I just think the pressure is unnecessary to go out and enjoy yourself. You know, they were, uh, no one seemed <laughs> overly happy. And there I was, you know, no, no uh, directional ability, you know, not having uh, the pressures of, of a map and uh, just bumming along. Yeah, and uh, heading roughly south and uh, having much better time than they were having. And, you know, it's just the choice you make, really, I suppose. Describe your bike and, and your setup. <laughs> okay, well, I have a, a, a Honda Transalp. It's a, an older one, a 650. And uh, it's it's had a bit of a rough life with me. It's uh, It's been cartwheeled down the road in Ibiza at 50 miles an hour. It's been... Um, uh, sunk in, in a river in Ireland and uh, bounced down the side of a mountain um, in, in Greece and uh, oh, and Kupti, obviously, in Morocco. And uh, oh, and shot at. But it's, uh, it's my bike, you know, it's, um, it's been chopped and changed around for me, really. You know, it's got a lowered seat on it so I can get a toe down. Um, it's, uh, it's the thing, I trust it, I think, is the biggest thing, you know. Uh, you know, when you turn the key, it's going to start, and uh, I maintain it myself. It's, it's a simple, a simple bike. It has um, carburetors. You know, there's no weird fuel fueling system or or um, you know anti skid and DCT clutch and all that kind of stuff. It's just a simple bike that can be fixed wherever I go. So it's it's definitely a part of me. How long have you had that bike? Uh, I got that bike before I passed my test, and I passed my test in 2008. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, where are we at? Yeah, 13 years. <laughs> we're, we're in 2021. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you know, it, you know I passed, when I passed my test, I did it on a BMW um, 650, you know, the, the Fungiro uh, bike. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. It, was, it was a cracking bike for me. You know, I could, I could get uh, one foot down, uh, the ball of my foot down on the ground, and because uh, I'm I'm only five foot four, so touching the ground is a, you know, a rarity for me, and uh, I have to slide my backside off the side of the seat when I, whenever I want to stop, and uh, mm -hmm. you know the the BMW was really low, where whereas the it, but it only had one cylinder, and I, I wanted I knew the kind of trips that I wanted to do would be lots of road, um, you know, uh, miles to get to the place that I wanted to be. And I wanted a twin. So the Transalp really was the obvious answer for me. You know, all these 
GS BMWs, I wouldn't stand a chance. You know, my legs would be flapping around in the wind. So, uh, you know, if, if I've got my feet flat on the ground, it's because I've dropped my bike. <laughs> you know, it's the only way it's going to happen. So, uh, so are, are you serious? You got You actually you have to, like, when you're stopping, you don't, you can't put a foot down? Yeah, no. It's, if I sit centrally on the seat, I can't touch the ground with even my big toe on one oh, foot. Wow. So, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to learn how to, to deal with it. You have to have better skills. I mean, really, you got to be a higher skilled rider to ride like that than if you can just reach down and touch the ground. Well, I think that, you know, bear in mind that these bikes, they're all heavy, aren't they? You know, it's like, I think my bike's something sure. like, uh, must be about 260, 270 kilograms with all its camping stuff on. And, uh, and you know, these big BMWs, they're, they're even heavier. And uh, so I think even if you can get your foot down, you can, if it starts to go and you put your foot down, it doesn't really make much difference. You're going to drop it anyway, unless you're a big He-Man. So uh, not being able to get my foot down, I don't really see as a massive disadvantage. Um, you know, as long as you've got uh, the ability to use the clutch and the throttle, then, uh, you know, you can get away with most things. Though, obviously, you know, I tend to drop it more often than most other people. But hey, you know, it's uh, my bike. Everything that was ever going to snap off on my bike has snapped off already. So it's, uh, it's droppable and that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the method. Let the stuff break off. When it's done breaking all the little bits off, then you're done. You're ready to go. <laughs> yes, yes. Who needs mirrors, hey? <laughs> yeah. Rather than putting all those bars on to protect everything, I mean, why bother? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's just, I, I love hearing, you know, somebody who's had, had a bike for so long and, and sticks with it. I mean, it really says something about what you're saying about it being the ride, not so much the bike. You're not focused on, you know, getting out there and, and getting a, a brand new motorcycle for your adventures. You're quite happy with your transit help that's been through so much with you yeah well you know uh, i've got a mate who's got the new africa twin you know the uh, i think he's not the new new africa twin the 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 1000 and it's a beautiful bike you know it looks lovely i'd love something like that but you know i i, I wouldn't really trust it to be honest well one i, I just couldn't wouldn't be able to reach the seat so i can't uh, and they're expensive but um I, I wouldn't trust it. You know, my bike, I know that if something breaks, the chances are I can fix it myself. And, uh, you know, we have this um, a kind of a relationship. You can I can feel when something's starting to go because I've done so many miles on it. Um, and, you know, a new bike I don't think would be a good idea. You know, they're full of technology and things that can break and, you know, leave you stranded and stuff. And some of the places I go, you know, certainly down... In, uh, in Morocco, in the Western Sahara, when I disappeared off five miles from the road, if you blow up, um, you're, you're really in trouble. You know, so, so uh, you know, look, look, having a bike that you can trust and fix, I think, is it's really important. It, it allows me to concentrate on the places that I'm, I'm visiting and that feeling of freedom rather than the, the fear of what happens if it blows up, you know. Hmm. When you said blob, I thought you were talking about the landmines. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk about your, your the rest of the setup, your your camping gear, and how you you put it on your bike, etc. Yeah, it's um, I've got um, two aluminium Touratech panniers, which I bought when everything was new and shiny, and uh, uh, they hold most of my kit. Um, I've got uh, a nice quiet Trangia stove. Um, which is great. It's really basic and uh, it doesn't make that horrible noise whenever you're trying to cook something. You know, all you hear in the evening when I've, I'm cooking my dinner is the spitting of the sausages or the, or, or the burgers or whatever lump of meat I'm, I'm cooking. And I like that. I you know the stoves make awful noises. 
And, uh, well, the Trangia stove, just for those who don't know, is is a, a fuel stove that doesn't uh, require the pressurization like an MSR stove or something. You're burning just a little canister of fuel. Absolutely. Actually, or, or, or alcohol, right? Yeah, I just use the, the purple meth stuff that, that, it, that I buy from the petrol station. It works really well. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's a great little stove and, uh, and it comes with all the saucepans that you can use. And it's, it's perfect for me. And, you know, I, it comes with a... a, um, a a kettle, so uh, that sorts me out with the coffee as well. It's an interesting observation that you make, though, about the noise, because, I mean, I use MSR stoves. I don't really think much of it. I have a background mm. of, of uh, outfitting uh, trips, and that's what we used extensively for a lot of the trips. I don't really think about it, but you're, you're absolutely right. When you mm. said that, I think, well, I have a little wood burner stove, which is my favorite stove. Mm. It's basically just a folding metal thing that I got from some somebody who was making it in Sweden. It's a beautiful little simple, simple stove, and it burns wood. It's my favorite stove. I've never really connected it with the noise, though. But there is a certain thing to that stove where you hear the crackle of the wood. Mm. And it, it's just great. Mm. I mean, it does blacken all the pots, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, the, um, before the, before the Tangira had um, uh, a petrol stove, a Coleman 5-something. And, uh, and, you know, you, pump, you pour your petrol in and pump the little lever until your wrist's knackered. And you light it, and it, it, it takes all your skin off. You know, there's a big kind of... And, um, you know, dangerous bloody thing. But, you know, it's so incredibly... And it's really good, because if you run out of fuel, you just take some out of your petrol you know, of your petrol tank, which is really handy. But, um, but you know, the noise it makes, is, uh, it just it just ruins the evening for me. You know, in, in, uh, in or the Western worlds, we're always surrounded by noise, you know, even when it's like really quiet. There's always something going on, and uh, it's really nice to appreciate silence when you go camping somewhere off off the track. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like that, and I uh, don't want it to be spoilt by the, um, you know, the noise of some hissing stove. But you know, other bits of kit I've got. Um, I just buy cheap stuff, really. You know, it's, camping can be really expensive, or it can be really cheap. And uh, you know, it's, I've got um, a sleeping bag that is from a, an army surplus thing bought on eBay for about twelve quid. Um, the only downside is it's big, so that fills up one entire pannier. Um, but you know, it's twelve quid, so it's it's great. And you know, if it's really hot, then I just use it as a as an airbed, pretty much. You know, I don't have an airbed. I um, uh, what else do I have? My tents I buy, I've got, had been through a few tents. I had, uh, a, that was a Coleman tent as well, a two-man Coleman tent, uh, a, a geodesic dome uh, tent, and that was good because I didn't have to hammer in, uh, you know, tent pegs. Um, but that, that broke, that broke on me when I went to, I think it was, I think it was great. Oh, that broke on me when I went to Scotland. And uh, blew away and, and landed on a sheep, and I had to chase the bloody thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> the sheep. Yeah, yeah. It blew. <laughs> it was really windy, and uh, it blew away, and landed on a sheep. And uh, and I, you know, this the camping mentality is you leave everything as you find it. I thought, what well, I can't do, I can't leave my tent attached to a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> But you know they don't like being, you know, you <laughs> sheep don't don't like us getting too close. So hunting down and grabbing my tent was a bit of an ordeal. 
So here you are running around a, a field <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in the wind, chasing a sheep attached to your tent. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a great video. <laughs> yeah, I should do videos. I should do videos. But um, yeah, I, now I've got um, a tent I bought off eBay, a little one-man tent, which is is great for me. Just just enough space for me, my crash helmet, boots, and my uh, rucksack, or my bags, you know. And, uh, you know, I think it was uh, 40 quid off eBay or something. And uh, I, don't, I don't see the need to um, buy all the expensive stuff. You know, if you're hiking and you're going to be hiking miles and miles, you want the lightweight stuff. And, you know, it's expensive. But I'm not hiking. I just dump it on my motorbike. So it doesn't matter if it's heavy and it doesn't matter if it's big and bulky. So, uh, you know, you can, I can get away with buying the cheap stuff. Yeah, there's there's something wrong with your story, Richard, because you you have an old bike, you buy cheap gear, yet you're still having lots of fun. That I don't know, there's there's something commercially wrong here that, yeah. that just doesn't seem to add up. Yeah, they don't like me. Those big companies. Yeah, well, no. I I've got a pair of four hundred and fifty pound. Uh, uh, Daytona boots, if that makes you feel better. There you go. See, I it knew was, it was somewhere. You're a boot person. You're you're one of those people who put your money in boots. I, I knew it had to be somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, it's when, when you haven't got much in the way of legs, you have to um, uh, add to your, your length any way you can. So uh, it, my boots have a, about, a, a, I don't know, two centimetres uh, thick sole. So they give. I thought they would be the answer to all my prayers, but I still can't touch the ground. You're looking at them right now while you describe them, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful things. I can tell. What <laughs> well, you you also write books about your adventures. I, I assume this is working for you in some way or another. You're not going to give this up because you got four books out. Is it four books? Yeah, I I um, try to. I, I enjoy the process of writing. And uh, and the the, doing the motorbike trips and the writing about it um, work well for me. You know, I can make people laugh and uh, write. uh, You can write things down uh, in a way that, um, how can I put it? You know, if I'm talking to you, I can't uh, can't quite get across the things that I want to say in the way I feel it. Whereas on paper, I can. You know, I have time to... To, to kind of hone that sentence and, and to get the point across exactly as I want to. Um, and, uh, and I think that uh, for me, the writing is just as much fun as the, as the adventure itself. And, you know, this, my latest book, uh, which is um, Morocco Bound, uh, that is about my trip in 2009. Um, and, you know... So, I, so that's the first trip? It was, yeah. It was my first... It was my first big motorbike trip, so I was completely naive, completely new. I had lots of adventure and lots of disasters, and uh, and I think that it was good fun at the time. But it was just as good writing about it last year. I, I really enjoyed the write. It brings it all back, and uh, and it was great fun. You know, you can relive it again, and uh, and you know, I love that part of the writing. You know, it's good. How do you do that though? Are you keeping a diary while you go? Yeah, I, I I I write a lot, and uh, so yeah, I have a, a an exercise book that I scribble all sorts of things on. So yeah, I, I take good notes. Were you into writing before, or is this just a motorcycle thing? Uh, no, I wasn't. So my first um, book was um, <laughs> not not the best. I think I, you, you learn quite quickly as you by experience, you know. And uh, my uh, writing ability has got better um, quite quickly. Um, I'm now 
I say average, whereas before I was quite bad. But you know, it's, I'm quite happy with my my later two books, my Greek book. I think I I I think that's good, and my uh, my Morocco bound book. I'm I'm quite proud of. But you know, when I was at school, I had a awful teacher. I I won't um I won't name her, but um she was a horrible lady and uh, forced me to write with my right hand, even though I'm left-handed, because she didn't believe that there were people who were left-handed. We're taking just a short break so that I can tell you about a couple of things, but stick around, because when we come back, dodging a bullet, literally. Stay with us. Hurley's Possum Socks are the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio. Why? Because after a lifetime of outdoors activities, both in recreation and professional capacities, I have never, ever found a pair of socks that are better than Pearly's Possum Socks. Better at keeping my feet warm, at keeping my feet dry, and better at keeping my feet comfortable after a long, hard day of riding. The secret, I'll tell you the secret behind Pearly's Possum Socks, Well, first, the socks are specifically designed for us motorcycle riders. How cool is that to begin with? But more importantly is the blend of merino wool and possum fur that these socks are made of. Both materials offer unique characteristics designed by nature, I might add. The ability to wick away moisture from your skin, to not absorb and nurture fungals that make your socks stink. Pearlies don't stink. The natural fibers have lanolin in them, which is part of their makeup the, the, and part of those beneficial qualities for our feet. I mean, do you ever wonder how animals stay warm in the bush when it's rainy and cold out? Well, in short, they're wearing Pearlies possum socks. Kind of, you know, well, at least some sheep and possum that live in New Zealand do. And where they live, it's often cold and very wet. So when in Rome... You know the saying. Pearly'spossumsocks.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'spossumsocks.com. If you ever looked at a, a dirt bike, a lot of times they have sharp teeth on the foot pegs, really sharp teeth. And that's to keep your feet planted. And I have sort of that on my bike. I've got the IMS Products Core Enduro foot pegs, which are some fairly aggressive teeth that you don't often see or not very common on street bikes, but they really keep your feet planted if you ride in some rough stuff. You know, you get bouncing around on rocks and things like that. Now, those aggressive teeth are thin and, and relatively sharp. And with many foot plagues, those teeth would dig into your boot like they should, but they chew the boot up as well. But with my IMS foot pegs, these Coranduro ones, they use what they call, a, I think they call it a staggered tooth design. And basically what it is, instead of using one tooth in that position, they stagger it and they use two teeth. That spreads the weight out. So now when I look at my boots, they're not all chewed up. Matter of fact, there's hardly any marks on them at all because the weight is distributed. Yet these, these uh, foot pegs grip like you wouldn't believe. It's almost like your feet are stuck there. Not for everybody, but if you like that sort of foot peg, um, incredible. But that, that finite design feature is just one of the finite design features that IMS builds into their foot pegs. It's, it's a top quality product from a company that has over 40 years experience. They know what they're doing when they're looking at designing a foot peg for adventure motorcycling. IMS Products has a full line of motorcycle foot pegs designed specifically for the style that you ride. Um, have a look at what they've got. IMSproducts.com is the website. Oh, and they've got a brand new website, by the way. If you haven't been there for a while, check it out. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. If you read books on motorcycle travel, then you probably already know how many nuggets you can find in a good book. 
it's um it's better than a movie in my mind because a, a book goes deeper, dives deeper, allowing you to sort of immerse yourself in the story, imagine the scene. But it's not just the story, but the adventure that you that you get. I mean, obviously that's entertaining, but it's those valuable nuggets you pick up from somebody's account of their adventure that I think makes the whole thing just such a great package. Now, if you haven't been reading motorcycle travel books, I tell you, you've been missing out. And I've got a nugget of information that may help you with this. RoadDogPub.com. RoadDogPub.com. That's Road Dog Publications. They're the publisher of a slew of motorcycle books, and they're getting more all the time. They've got titles like, Don't Tell Mama I'm Going to Mongolia on a Motorcycle. Wow, that's the title. <laughs> that's interesting right off the bat. Those Two Idiots, uh, Shiny Side Up, Asphalt and Dirt, Search for Greener Grass, Hit the Road Jack, and just released is Two-Wheeled Wind Therapy by Kathleen Turner. Now, all Road Dog Publications books are available at, at good bookstores everywhere um, and, and places you'll find online, I'm sure. But you can also go to their website and buy directly from Road Dog Publications. It's rooddogpub.com. Grab a book, have an adventure. I mean, you're not going to go wrong. Um, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, rooddogpub.com. When I was at school, I had an awful teacher. I, I, won't, um, I won't name her, but um, she was a horrible lady and uh, forced me to write with my right hand, even though I'm left-handed, because she didn't believe that there were people who were left-handed. Um, she was a nasty piece of work. And I remember her telling, to me, telling me, you know, um, you'll never amount to anything, Richard. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've written a book, even if it's only to spite her, you know? I don't know if that makes me vengeful or, you know, a person who holds grudges. It probably does, but hey, you know, <laughs> that was that, that was a big a big um, element to me, wanting to write a book, just to to get back at her, really. I, 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 Did you send her a copy? I hope she's read it. <laughs> I would if I knew where she was. You should try and <laughs> really find would. her. You should try and find her and send her a copy and just say, inspired by you. <laughs> she's probably she's probably a really nice elderly lady who's changed and is lovely. So, you know, that, I shouldn't do that, should I? <laughs> well, that's a very positive outlook that you've well, changed it to this. To. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you, you mentioned big trip. So the, the big trip to you is about a month is what you're doing. That's, that's what we, we talked about that already. Yeah, yeah, I think a month is the ideal time for me. And, you know, after a month, I'm very happy to go home. Uh, you know, I can do so much camping and then my poor old body, you know, I'm 48 now. My body needs a break. So, uh, yeah, a month is good for me. Mm -hmm. Who do you leave at home? Uh, I've got my wife, uh, Floey, and uh, my son, Felix, is, is back with us at the moment. Uh, he's an artist and doing incredibly well. And uh, so that that's really cool. And I've, of course, I've got my uh, my Newfoundland dog, Nelly, who is, uh, yeah, it's always one of those, those things that draws me back, you know, obviously, along with my wife and son. I had to say that part, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you um you obviously haven't picked up what some people describe as that bug where they just once they go on a trip like that because a month is a long time for for most of us a month is a very long time to go on a trip it's a it's a twelfth of a year it's a, it's a big chunk and a great amount of time but you didn't quite um you haven't picked up the bug to to staying on the road from that it hasn't driven you to do that 
No, well, I think that one, I'm not able to do that. You know, my business is just me. So when I when I'm not uh, at home, my income stops. So you know, I can't I can't do things like that. But actually, I, I'm I'm very happy to to come back. You know, it's, um, I live in a, a wonderful part of the world. It's it's beautiful. It, it, I know it rains a lot, but you know, it, it's green and it's alive and and it's it's nice and I like it. And uh, you know, I I do like my adventures but I like coming home as well and you know after a month I do miss home and um and I miss that you know I miss that the the ease of life you know traveling is quite hard you know Mm -hmm. so yeah a month is good for me I I definitely haven't had that um you know that kind of thing you talk about where you're on the road and you just want to stay there Uh, for me that, that that's not a thing Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, I read um, Steph Jevons' book recently and, um, and you know, it, it just brought it all back. Uh, I forget where she was, but um, she'd, she'd been on the road for a long time and you could hear in her writing, you know, she'd had enough and she wanted to come home. And, you know, I, I get that after about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Maybe I haven't visited places that are beautiful enough. <laughs> you think that's what it is? Is it the, the beauty no, of the place I that don't. keeps you on the road? No, it has no, to be somewhat personality. No. We, we talked about this on our other show that we do, Raw, um, that, that comes out monthly. And um, it, it was Shirley Hardy Ricks that, that said uh, right off the bat, she said, you know, she, she loves to travel, but she also loves to come home. So, I mean, she's a, she's a total travel nut. I mean, we've been doing this show for like six years or something like this. Um, and she's been on it all that time. So she, she loves motorcycle travel and she's a, she's a passenger for her husband, but she loves it. She absolutely loves it, but she loves to come home. She sees a balance. And then in there, then the others sort of um, piped up as well and said, yeah, you know, like uh, th- that's, that's their style as well, at least for a couple of them. Yeah, well, you know, there's that old thing, you know, there is no war without peace, or is it the other way around? And um, it's the same as um, as traveling, you know, you can't appreciate the freedom of being, um, you know, on the road on a motorbike, unless you, uh, you know, your life is not on the road or on a motorbike. So, you know, it's, it's one goes in hand in hand with the other, you know, I think I appreciate it so much, because it's not a, a large part of my life, you know, or, or it's not a, uh, doesn't take up a large portion of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would make sense, I think. Before I let you go, I wanted to get uh, maybe one or two stories from uh, maybe maybe we should look at Morocco Bound. One or one or two of the the things that really stand out. What what story you know sort of comes to mind when you think of this book, or or what one would you you find yourself telling people most often? Uh, well, people want to hear about the the bullet hole in the pannier. Um, I suppose is is the one that everyone wants to hear about. But, well, you know, it, there it is out there, isn't it? I mean, you know, anything anything that takes you that close to being at the edge. I mean, even riding through the minefield is one thing. But how do you end up at, at this? Well, how do you get shot at? I mean, let's set this up. Yeah, well, I basically um, got terribly lost, and uh, and I dropped my bike, and then I'd found somewhere to stay purely by by accident. And, uh, and and when I left the place in the morning, the lady had said to me, um, you know, I'd driven off in the direction that I thought was right. And the lady had started shouting and saying, no, 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 and pointing in the opposite direction. And uh, so I thought, well, bloody hell, well, I can't go that way. So I, I went the way she pointed and uh, ended up in uh, off the track, just in the desert, which is like, you know, it's not sand. It's, it's like... Um, uh, compacted stones and, and and small rocks, so you can ride through it. And um, 
And, uh, and basically, I was on this, just following the tyre marks of, of other vehicles. I wouldn't really call it a track. And uh, so what I didn't want to do was turn around and go back because I had no idea where I was. I'd dropped my bike so many times. I'd got stuck in some areas of deep sand. The lady had shouted at me and told me I can't go that way. So going back wasn't really an option. And uh, up, up uh, ahead, I, I saw um, a, some people and a car. And, uh, and I had my camera on me and uh, with a, a big old long zoom lens. So I got my camera out and, uh, and, and looked at them, um, you know, zoomed in, if you like. And, um, and they had guns and, you know, and, and they didn't have like a, I don't know, a uniform or a, a tank or, or a, a car that looked official, you know. It was a beaten up old, old banger. And um, I just, I remember thinking... I'm not sure this is a good idea, you know. You know, my brain doesn't work particularly well. And when you don't know the politics of an area and and you're close to a border that, you know, that, that Morocco and Algeria never really see eye to eye, do they? And um, so I just, I, I, you know, your brain works even less well then. So uh, I thought, you know, I don't know. I, I definitely don't want to go back, but... I just don't like the look of that, and uh, I, I stood there for a while and, and worked out a plan, which was which was basically uh, try to get towards them as quietly as you possibly can, and if it all looks like it's going to go terribly wrong, um, change down a couple of gears, open up the throttle, lower your head and stick it on the petrol tank, and fire yourself straight into the middle of them in the hope that their kind of self-preservation instinct cuts in and they will step aside and let you through. Uh, you know, that was that was my plan, you know? Now, now when you're thinking I'm this, British. you're not you're not thinking that it's actually going to happen. This, this, this has got to be like a pie-in-the-sky well, thing. that's what I was going to say, you know, I'm English. Things like that don't happen to English people, you know? <laughs> not friends of mine. So, so you know, that, that was my plan. You know, it's, no way would I have believed that they were going to try to shoot me, you know? That, that's... Um, it just didn't even enter my mind. But I could see the logic of why it wasn't such a good idea, you know. But as I say, I really didn't want to go back. So, um, yeah, And so, obviously, yeah, they're, I, they're just to clarify, they're in the way for you. Like, I mean, because the way I'm getting it in my mind here is there's a big, vast uh, open space and there's some people with a gun in a car one spot and you're going to ride directly towards them, which to me seems yeah, kind of ludicrous. Not, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the desert's not really like that. You've got... You know, the track is, uh, it's just where lots of cars and lorries, or lots, I suppose, the lorries have, um, have gone down and compressed to the yep. ground, you know. And, um, you know, instead of there being big boulders, there are small rocks and you can ride over them, you know, at a fair old pace. Yep. Um, if you venture off that track, then there are, there are lots of um, big boulders that you really don't want to hit. And they're also like sandy areas, which, you know, I've got a great big fat heavy bike. It doesn't really do sand, it just sinks. Um, and on top of that, uh, when it rains, it rains hard. So there are lots of kind of gullies where you're riding along and all of a sudden there's a six foot drop. You'd so moving off that track wasn't really much of an option. So, uh, so really, I, I had to, I had to go down that road, that route. And that's where they are. They're right on the track. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, what do you do? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I rode towards them as quietly as I could, in, in like you know fourth gear, and um, keeping the the revs down. You know, it's a noisy bike. Bikes are noisy, and um, thinking it'll be fine. You know, and then I got I got close enough where I 
my confidence um, kind of took over. I, I just thought, well, they will definitely have seen me now and they're not paying any attention, so it's fine. I'll just ride past and, you know, we'll kind of do a manly nod or something. And, uh, and all of a sudden they, they looked up, you know, started shouting at each other and raised their guns. And, at you. Uh, and you know, at me. And, uh, and, and my... my, my my natural instinct, my first instinct, was to uh, put my hand in there and wave at them. You know, <laughs> oh hello! <laughs> but I'm I followed English. my I followed my my plan. I put my head, you know, head down on the petrol tank, changed down into second gear, and opened up the throttle, <gasps> and went fly. And you know, when you you do that, second gear, even on my little trans out, second gear, your back wheels sliding all over the place, you're bouncing up and down. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's not uh, it's not easy. You know, and you're on a really heavy bike. And uh, so I went flying off towards them. They kind of jumped out of the way and, uh, and I, I came out the other side. And uh, and I'm, I kind of, and I could hear, you know, bang, 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 bang. And I, I, I just thought, I just thought they were putting their guns up in the air and going, hey, nutty biker, what a moron, you know, bang, bang, let's celebrate together. You know, it's one nut to another and all that kind of stuff. But um and then I felt a, 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 like a, a, a jolt on the bike, and I, I thought I'd hit something. Like you know, I thought I'd hit a rock, and uh, but didn't particularly want to stop at that point and check it out. So carried on riding and riding fast. And uh, when I did eventually stop, I um, I found that well, I didn't actually find the bullet hole for for a while afterwards. But uh, when I, I stopped, I checked um, my tires and I checked my wheel and you know my. Um, the sump guard, and uh, there was, you know, I was expecting to see a big chunk out of something, but there was nothing. And, uh, and it turned out that I'd, um, you know, the next few times, I stopped a few times, but when I finally stopped and saw the bullet hole, I um, I was uh, completely shocked. And, you know, the bullet hole, the bullet had gone into the back of my pannier um, through this petrol container that I had um, that, thank God, was empty. And then out of the petrol container, and then out of the front of the pannier, and then pinged off my crash bar, right by my knee. So literally, if it was um, if it was four inches to the left, it would have taken my knee out. If it was a foot to the left, it would have um, gone through the bottom of my spine. So I was, um, yeah, um, well, I, I, I think I was numb. Really, is um, is what I was. Well, yeah, when you, when you say that, you know, like a couple inches over, a foot over, it can't speak to that feeling of realizing that that could have been life and death there. Yeah, I think I didn't really have any emotions at the time other than uh, bloody hell, Christ. And, and, you know, isn't that quite cool having a bullet hole in your pannier? Well, it's a great story, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> well, the reason I found the bullet hole is because I, 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 everyone gives you this dry sponge cake when you're out there. And I had a, a, a pannier full of this dry sponge cake and a carrier bag. And I pulled the carrier bag out and it got caught on something and ripped and when I had a look, um, it had got caught on, you know, when the bullet had gone in, the inside of the pannier had, had um, you know, I, I'm making a, a shape with my hand here, but you can't see that, can you? <laughs> but it's kind of, you know, gone out into sharp, pointy bits. And, um, and you know, it, it was just, um, that, that was what happened. But, you know, um, uh, I think I was just numb for a while. And then from, from being numb, I, I was angry. Because, you know, I was thinking about things like, you know, if if that actually had hit me, I, I, no one would have known where I was, you know. Um, 
you know, I was in a place where um, I don't think anyone would have found me. Um, a few days of wind and the bike would probably have been covered in sand. And, uh, and I, I thought about my mum and my dad. And, you know, what right did they have to shoot at me, you know? And, you know, I've, I've spoken to lots of people trying to work out who they were. And, you know, uh, at the time when I rode towards them, I just assumed they were people who were going to steal my motorbike and want money from me. So that's the reason I didn't stop. But in hindsight, I think they were probably border patrol of one type or another, and I should have just stopped. But, you know, your, your, your common sense doesn't work when you don't understand the politics and the border and what goes on. But, uh, but yeah, I did find that I was really angry for quite a long time. You know, they, they could have um, uh, killed me and buggered up the lives of my, my near and dear, you know. Does that change the, your way of, of travel now, that experience? Because as you said, um, you know, it's not just you that has to deal with things, it's other people. Yeah, after that, I kind of made a promise that I was going to be much more careful. I wasn't going to take any risks. And then, uh, you know, a week later, I, I was riding along the road looking for somewhere to stop, uh, looking for somewhere to camp. And I found, I was doing 50 or 60 miles an hour, and I found this uh, side turning just appeared out of nowhere. And I thought, yay! <laughs> just darted left and did a jump over this dip and, you know, into the desert. So, you know, it, nothing really changes. No, you know, I'm still the same old moron that I, that I always have. So, you know, I like to think that I wouldn't, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit better. I'm a, that's as, as good as it gets, really. I'm a bit, I'm a bit more careful. Richard, I feel compelled to ask you this. Okay, so you, you, let's just back up to where you spot this car and you spot people with guns. Okay, now, now just work this through with me because so your plan is to you, you spot people with guns. They're they're at a distance. They're on your track. Your plan is to ride directly towards them, and then your your backup plan is if they try to pull their guns out, you're gonna duck down and crack the throttle, skipping down a couple of gears and boot through like it's it's like it's like you're planning a hollywood film i mean these if they have a gun didn't it ever occur to you that they would probably want to use this gun or at least have an intention to use it yeah and i was kind of hoping that it wasn't going to happen my you know my big plan was uh really what my big plan was was uh this is very exciting but you know you're making it up in your head it'll all be fine yeah. you know I, i'm a i'm a little guy on a big bike, people always want to help me. You know, if I drop my bike, I never have to pick it up because someone's around to pick it up for me, you know? And if, um, <laughs> you know, if I wobble around a, a junction somewhere, people stop and they wave me on. The human race is a wonderful thing. You know, the world is full of wonder, wonderful people. And, uh, and that's my experience of the human race, you know? And especially when you're in trouble, people come in and help you. And, you know, you know, as a, as a little guy with fuzzy hair, that's what happens and uh, and it's nice and I just I, I suppose I've never really apart from one instance I won't go into but I've never really experienced anyone being downright nasty so you know I, I just assumed that it would all be okay and uh, sometimes it's not you know I, I was just luck was on my side Richard it was great to sit down and talk with you thank you very much thanks for having me on thanks a lot Jim That 
was Richard Giorgio from his home in the UK. Richard has four books out, and you can find out more on his website, onemanonabike.com. Of course, we'll have that link and some photos that Richard gave us to post in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks of course to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Now don't forget we have another show called ARR Raw. It comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that and like Adventure Rider Radio you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you haven't done it already we would love to get a five star review from you on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcast. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for being a part of this. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Zenith Irfan and I am the first Pakistani girl to do 3,000 kilometers in Pakistan and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.